We have been sharing, and I'm about to say this phrase, I feel like for the 150th time, how we're rich in Christ. Why, why wouldn't we want to say that over and over? And that's what we've been sharing. That's what Paul has been sharing with the believers at Ephesus. He has proclaimed it. And he has prayed that they would have understanding. If he could, he would just pound it in their heart so that they would never, never forget as they go through life on this earth how that they are rich in Christ. We have riches to look forward to. We are rich now. And he wanted them to truly know it to the measure that a Christian can while we are on this earth. So having desired that they would come to a realization of their present and future riches, now he takes them to look back, to look back at their past. He reminds them of their poor past. Chapter 2, verse 1. He says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. He tells these believers about their past. And that past, we too share in common. Every believer has this in their past before they're a believer. As we read and study the word of God, we have so much to look forward to. We are running a Christian race. We are guided by the word so many times to be looking ahead, to be meditating on the future. But every now and then, God would have us to glance back. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we do this in remembrance of Jesus, his broken body and his shed blood. And so what Paul is having these believers do is to look back at their poor past. We ought to always remember where we came from because it's a testimony of what God has done as to where we stand now. And where we all came from, it wasn't just dirt poor, it was dead poor. Paul uses this strong word here, dead. He speaks of believers alive in Christ. They were dead in trespasses and sins. When you look up that word, one word you'll find is corpse. It doesn't get much more dead than that. And this isn't speaking of a physical death, though. It's speaking of being spiritually dead. 
Before anyone is saved, they are spiritually dead to God and the things of God. That's a strong word. The opposite of dead is alive. Just dead as dead can be. You know, there, there are a lot of movies out there. I don't watch many of them. Uh, my family doesn't like scary movies, so... But there, there are a lot of these movies about death, and, but, but not in the right kind of sense, in a, in a spooky kind of sense. And people are kind of intrigued by it. There's an old story in my family about someone who died. I had a cousin who died in a motorcycle wreck, and he flipped over his motorcycle, landed on his head, and he was brain dead. And, and, and my aunt says he came in and talked to her after um, he was dead and said he's doing all right. And... Another aunt that lived a stone's throw away said, who was that that rode up on a motorcycle at 2 a.m. in the morning? I don't, I mean, when I was a kid, that excited me. I don't believe it. I don't, I don't believe it, though. My aunt had quite a dream. She missed her son. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in this zombie stuff. And people are all excited about this death in that way and intrigued by it. But I will say this. The dead are walking among us. Everywhere, the dead are, are in attendance of the Lord's church. There are those who are dead and they are part of religious works, trying to do something to be acceptable to God. Look, it would be just as successful to throw a bone out and tell a dead dog to get up and go fetch that bone. It's not possible before someone has experienced salvation in Jesus Christ to do anything to possibly be acceptable by God. The lost, they are not just in spiritual darkness, they are in spiritual deadness. And, you know, there is such a milky, watered-down thing of just, we can just kind of get involved and maybe a little bit plugged into the things of God and, and have this church thing going on. And next thing you know, we think we're good. We believe we're all right. But one goes from dead in sins to alive unto God in a moment of salvation when they are quickened by the Spirit of God. The lost are dead in two things, it says here. Dead in trespasses. There is just the clear stepping across God's moral boundaries and God's moral laws. And it's, and it's guilt. It's guiltiness before God as one is dead in trespasses. But not only trespasses, but also dead in sins. And, and that is when you think of God... And you think of God's standard, all fall short of God's standard. Everyone does. But this dead in sins here, this is completely missing the mark. The unsaved are absolutely missing the mark. All fall short of the glory of God before salvation and stand guilty before the Lord. But we see the dead here as guilty as they can be. It just as dead as a corpse. 
But we not only see a dead corpse here, but we see a dead corpse, a dead corpse as Paul reminds these believers what they were. You see in verse two, he says, in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. And that word world there, it's not speaking of this earth, it's speaking of this world order, this worldly system. The uns the way we begin as a result of a fallen nature in Adam Look, we didn't have to be taught to walk according to this world. We didn't have to be taught to love this worldly system. We naturally did. We were doing what was natural and we were acting natural because of the sin nature that came upon us. And we walked according to the course of this world. It was our way of life. We didn't have to choose sin. We just automatically sinned. We didn't become a sinner when we sinned. We sin because we're a sinner. There is no original sin. We're just always in sin as sinners. In a lost estate. That was our estate. We were slaves to sin. And we were conformable to this world. And we had a liar and a deceiver as our boss. Satan himself, and he blinds the lost. He blinds the lost so they can't see their need of salvation. You speak of this salvation in Jesus Christ to someone, and some people think of a list of rules. They think of quite a tightening up on the life, and they can't do this, and they can't do that, and they just want to keep enjoying their freedom. I've had people clearly say that, and it's just a blinding by Satan himself because there is a bondage to sin, and it traps like nothing else can. The things of God and the precepts of God, they're all good for us. They're good for our lives. It's the best counsel anyone could ever have. The thou shalt and the thou shalt nots, Look, it leads to the best life and it comes from God that he can give. But there are those who are blinded and they think they're free, but they're bound in sin. A dead corpse on a dead course. And let's look at a death like character. You see that in verse three, a a conduct in our lives, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, were by nature the children of wrath. Being lost, only able to live in the flesh. Look, that's an appetite for sin. And that's the only dish that the unsaved are, are truly looking for. And that's the only craving. We all had just those cravings. Just those longings and desires. And, and they were evil. Our nature was fallen. The natural tug of sin. It always got us. We were always enticed by sin. And we always give, gave into it. There was nothing we could do. We had no defense for it. So our conduct was corrupt. And, and we sometimes can say, I wonder how someone could do something like they did. How this evil took place. And it's very simple. 
They were acting natural according to their sin nature. Sin is the answer. Shelley doesn't like it when I bring up this horrible story, but it just makes it so clear. This young dad who had his baby and his baby wouldn't stop crying. So he put the baby in the microwave and he turned the microwave on. That was his solution to it. And you say, how could someone do such a thing? It wasn't his frustration. It was sin. Sin causes people to do what they do. And in an unsaved state, state there are no limits it's kind of humorous when you think about darwinism and you think about how it states that man gets better and better and evolves into improvement when what we see is that man is just getting worse and worse it's the opposite of that cultish ridiculous talk and that's where We came from, though, as far as that sin nature. That's where we were. We didn't do what everyone has done, but we all have been in that fallen state. That was the poor past of the believers at Ephesus. And that's the past of every single one of us. If anyone claims that they were not dead in sins. I don't see how you would be alive unto God today if you didn't realize that. When we look back, we see that. We see we were the children of wrath. Remember, remember the poor past is what Paul takes these Christians to. And I'm so glad it doesn't end right there. I'm so glad the last chapter of our life and all we amount to doesn't stop at the end of verse 3. Because when you go into verse 4, you have two beautiful words right there in the beginning. You can see the turning point in this chapter and in the subject when you see but God. It never fails over at the Villas Ministry. Every now and then someone's going to give a testimony and they may talk about their past and then they interject, but God. Those are two beautiful words that go together in the Bible and and there's something else that happens. We need to remember our poor past, but Paul leads the believers at Ephesus to remember What God has provided. And we see this in verses 4 through 10. Let's go ahead and read them. And you're just going to have to follow along when I get to that point. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace, you know what, let's stop right there. We're going to close with those a little later, and let's just look. At the turning point in this, as we all remember what we were, as well as Ephesus can, but God. He is rich in mercy, and He is great in love. What we are now 
compared to what we were, it's because of an overabundance of the mercy of God, His kindness, and His unlimited compassion. The compassion of Jesus. You look through the Gospels and you see over and over that Jesus had compassion on the multitudes in their sins. They were just following Jesus, some of them, for the fish and the miracles. And it was entertainment. But he had compassion on the multitude and he wanted to see them saved. He has unlimited compassion. God looked upon our helpless condition. And he met our need. God, we talk about love in so many ways today. It was a pitying love as God looked down on mankind in sin and wanted to meet man's need. And he was purely able to. He provided salvation for the lost wayward sinner that was manipulated by Satan. And then we go on into verse 5. And it, and it speaks again how we were dead in sins. But we have been quickened together with Christ. The Lord provided a salvation for the soul. He drew us to the opportunity to choose life in Jesus Christ. To be saved, to be able to say as Paul, but as for me, to live is Christ. We have been made alive by the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, from dead to alive. That's what happens when one is saved. They go from dead to alive, from a corpse to a child of God. To saved by the Son of God and made alive, quickened, regenerated by the Holy Spirit unto life. We've been given life. We've been resurrected as children of God. We have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said ye must be born again. And that doesn't mean to be baptized. It means to be regenerated by the Spirit. We come into life. We never had before when we are saved. It's I mean, we, we just thought we were living. And when when we're made alive by Christ, we look back and we absolutely see no doubt we were dead. We were dead in sins. We were completely severed from the things of God. And God has brought us into life in him. He has breathed life. Not just physical life in the beginning, but spiritual life in Christ. Life we've never had before when Jesus saves us, we have. And we see that we were dead. We were all going to an eternal hell. And we deserved it. But the Lord provided a remedy he provided a remedy for the tragedy in the human race that all were going to be Christless and godless in eternity and in torment. He provided that remedy. He provided that rescue. There is a deliverance for the human race. And it's only one thing. It's only in one person. That remedy is in Jesus Christ. For the entire world, for every continent, for everyone on every end of the globe, 
to be rescued from sin, which everyone has. It's only in Jesus. It's not in any other false God. It's not in someone who died and they stayed dead. It is in one who died and raised from the dead and defeated sin. And, and death no longer has its sting for the one only in Christ. There's salvation only in one. One remedy, one salvation. And it's in Jesus. And he hath, verse 6, raised us up together. And made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus who was miraculously born. And he lived a 30 year life and then a three and a half year earthly ministry, walking and speaking the truth. And in, and, and in a perfect life, he satisfied the righteousness of God. And he said he was going to go to the cross. He said he was going to die for our sins. Peter tried to stop him and he said, get thee hence, Satan. And Jesus went to that cross and he died for our sins and he satisfied the justice of God. And then he was buried and then he was raised again. And he walked this earth for 40 days. He was seen by over 500 witnesses and then he was taken up. He was taken up and he was taken up in the clouds and he went to be with the father at the right hand of the father. And in a spiritual sense, according to our new citizenship that we have in Christ, we went with him. We sit together with Christ in heavenly places. We are here upon this earth now, but our citizenship is already there. We are with Christ and Christ is with us. Earth is our physical place, but we're with Christ and we're going to be with Christ. There is a city that we're going to occupy one day. An eternal city that's going to come down out of heaven. And, and we're going to occupy it forever. Our citizenship is already there. The Holy Spirit is just a piece that, that tells you and I. The Spirit beareth witness with our spirit. That we are the children of God. And He is the down payment on heaven. He is that assurance that it's all been paid for on the cross. And you belong to Christ. You are his child. We've been quickened. We've been made alive now. Verse 7. That in the ages to come. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace. And his kindness toward us. Through Christ Jesus. There are some ages to come in eternity. As much as Paul wants them to be focused on how spiritually extremely wealthy their cup runneth over in Jesus Christ here now. And, and, and we need to absorb it. We need to be focused on it all the time. But we will understand a limited amount of it. But in heaven, we're going to understand it all. We're going to understand it all. We're going to cast our crowns at his feet. We're, we're going to fall before the lamb on our face. How will we not? It's going to be so overwhelming in eternity with what God has done for us. What abundance of 
kindness and unlimited mercy that God has given us. He has inexhaustible grace for us and we are going to know the full measure of it in eternity. It's going to be revealed to us in heaven one day. We'll understand the extent of it all. We understand it now and we can understand it now to the point, though, of living in confidence. Can I can I say that that we can live in spiritual royalty now because we're a child of the king? That doesn't mean we're untouchable. That doesn't mean we're perfect. That doesn't mean we're not going to have problems. But we are a child of the most high God. And we are rich and we have value and treasures in him and this salvation that he has given to us. And heaven is going to reveal the depths. We're going to rejoice. We're going to celebrate. We are going to sing in heaven gathered around our Lord and Savior. Praise God. All of this, all because God did not leave us. In our sin, those times past that we just shared in the beginning of this, God did not leave us there. He looked down upon us and he provided a deliverance through Jesus Christ. He provided a salvation for us, a salvation so clear that anyone can be saved. It's so simple it's for the world to be saved. It's for the one here tonight who may not be saved. The one listening online who may not know the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is the way right here. Verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I have heard the opposite testimony come out of the mouths of thousands about how they're going to get to God, opposed to what we just read. And it's so simple. It's so simple. We have to say that there are those in religion and they are willfully ignorant of the simple plan of salvation in Jesus. Salvation is in Jesus and it's by grace. Grace cannot be worked for. You cannot receive grace by a deed done. And, and for salvation, grace is the supply. It's the only supply. It's by grace. And that is not going to be paid for. It's going to be given. It's unmerited favor. We, no one earns grace. If someone's earning a grace, it's not the grace of God. It's some other kind of grace that doesn't grant anything. Serving does not grant the supply for salvation. It's not of ourselves. The verses clearly say, for by grace are you saved. It's not of yourselves. It is not of works. So 
A world needs to hear this on their, on their doorstep. Everywhere we go that it's not of works. It's not of ourselves. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift that God has, has made and provided. And we're not an ingredient in, in salvation as in having a part in it. It's a gift that is given to you and I. And it's so simple. It's through faith. It's through faith. I'll never forget the day faith hit my heart. I didn't have enough faith to trust in Christ, but it, it's something from heaven that's given. It's given by the word of God. It's so important to witness the gospel of Jesus Christ because that gives the person the opportunity to place faith in Jesus Christ. We accept an eternal gift for the forgiveness of our sins by faith, by believing in Jesus and he accepts us when we believe. You will in no wise be cast out. So many fear rejection of so many kinds in so many ways. But there is no rejection by Jesus Christ. There is one sin that will be unforgiven before God and boil it down, and it's simply rejecting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is the only thing that is unforgiven. And that is so simple to do, to be born again by believing and be saved by Him. Oh, how easy it is to be saved. It's easy to be saved by Jesus Christ. He wants to save everyone. He does not want anyone to jump through. Not one hoop. But believe on the Lord. Who shed his blood on that cross. It's the only cleansing agent. For all our sins. If you're not saved. I pray you would be saved tonight. Like the old hymn says. Oh why not tonight. Will thou be saved. Oh why not tonight. This is the way right here. Look at what God has breathed. And it's simply so easy for you to do. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And after he saves you. He doesn't take you to heaven. He doesn't take you and I to heaven yet. But he leaves us here for a while. And we'll close with what we're going to do while we're here after we say we're saved, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's a big word right there. It, it puts salvation in one place and and works after it, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I'm not going to try to promote not working for the Lord. I am going to tell you that no working is going to deliver one from their sins. And not working is not going to make you undelivered from your sins or unsaved. 1 Corinthians 3.15 says that if one's works are burned up... They shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And that's not promoting that don't live for the Lord. It's just clarity on what salvation is and who has provided salvation and who keeps salvation. The Lord does, not us. We are kept here 
unto good works. He keeps us on this earth to work and to serve and to live for him. And I don't know about you, but I do it without, without anxiety. I, I do it without the thought of, is it enough to be able to go to heaven? Uh, no anxiety in it. It's done with joy. It's not done with, with a... Spirit living within us and moving within us. The, the byproduct of the Spirit, the producing of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and all of these things in our character. And we live and we, we work in the Lord in it. And that leads other souls to Christ. When they see us, Jesus wants to make himself known through his people on earth that other souls might be saved, that he might be glorified, that we might have stored up treasure in heaven. That's what he has left us here to do, not to work to earn anything that's already decided, that's already been given as a gift. Well, remember Remember, remember where we came from. Remember what the Lord has saved us from. Remember what he has done, what he has given to you and I in his salvation. Praise the Lord.